1: coming up this hour how do we keep living in light of the resurrection now that easter is over and then a really troubling abortion law out of california you're listening to the common good hey everybody welcome to the common good here on am 1160 hope for your life alongside aubrey sampson my name is brian Fromm. so glad to have you with us on a Monday afternoon, it feels very Monday-ish, Aubrey. It does how are feel you? Very
2: Monday Monday-ish. What's that about?
1: Uh, I, I just think it got cold. In the... uh,
2: on Sunday church, Kevin goes. Well, I hope you enjoyed your day of summer <laughs> your yesterday. Day of spring, it's right? over now.
1: <laughs> uh, it was beautiful on Saturday. I was out. Uh, my son had two baseball games, and sitting out, and uh, I even think sunburned happened. So uh, it was it was nice, nice. while it lasted, but. Uh, Yeah, glad to get a new week rolling. If you miss any of our shows last week, you can go get our podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Now, this weekend, uh, this past weekend, you spoke somewhere, didn't you? Like, I always feel like whenever we come on a Monday, you've gone off speaking and yeah. done this. And I'm like, yeah. no, I gardened a little bit. I picked some weeds and I went to Home Depot. Like I think our weekends are very different. Our weekends but that are was a little yours. bit
2: different. Yeah, mine was great. I spoke at the Christian Working Women Conference over the weekend, and uh, we 1160 uh, Hope for Your Life was one of the sponsors. So our little our little good our faces were <laughs> Photos were everywhere, Brian. So that was fun. No, it was a great event. Christian Working Woman is an organization that's been around forever. I, I was actually an intern for them when I was in college, wow. so over 20 years ago. So very fun to come full circle i led two breakout sessions and then a panel on cancel culture so it was a it was a full day a very fun saturday about 250 women were gathered from all over the place women from maryland women from texas a lot of women from around the area, of course, and it was, yeah, great, great event. Thanks you should for asking. Have, you
1: should have made it your goal to get canceled, and then you could have been like the... Oh, man, like, like the like poster the, child You could for have been like the, the lab project that uh-huh. you guys yeah, then discussed. We'll
2: ha- we'll have to we'll have to work on that. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the the panel later on in the show today, but it was a good day. It was okay. a fun event.
1: Good. Yeah. I also, like, uh, my weekend had a lot of baseball in it uh, and some uh, just other things. Good family time, and my wife and my daughter went up to where she will be going to college next wow. year, I guess. Oh, and just is becoming really real. But it's really fun because she loves it. Every time she's there, she's like, I can't wait to go to college. And that makes you feel good, right? If you're going to send your kid away. You
2: want them to feel excited about it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, uh, yes. Yes. All right. I want to talk about something church related. But before we do, let's let's dive into on these first uh, parts of the show. We often like to just give the biggest news of the day. And I do understand You could probably do this. Uh, The biggest news of the day could always be what's going on in the Ukraine. Absolutely. It could also always have to be COVID related or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But a snapshot of just today, the major news, ironically, going all over Twitter, is that Elon Musk has reached a deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion. That's a B.
2: That is a nice golden parachute if they have to leave the board or anything like that. I would take that. I would take that deal. I would in a heartbeat. $44 billion.
1: Says the deal brings arguably the Internet's most influential platform under the control of one of the world's richest people. Now, let me ask this question. (laughs) I don't know a lot about what's going on. I'm on Twitter a little bit. Yeah. People on Twitter are freaking out and they're leaving Twitter. Oh. I saw people being like, well, I guess that's the end of Twitter for me. And which is odd to me because Elon Musk has not said, I don't have much of an opinion about Elon Musk one way or the other, but he hasn't said what he's going to do. He hasn't said, I'm changing it this way. I'm doing this. So what do you think's behind that? Why are people automatically just don't, is is this the concept of somebody really rich and outspoken now Now owning it and now it's going to be something that it's not because all he's doing right now is talking about free speech and this and that. I would expect to see President Trump back. But.
0: Oh,
2: interesting.
1: uh, Maybe that's why. Any ideas why people are flipping out? Yeah.
2: The only thing I'm actually on Twitter right now as we speak, trying to figure out, like, why people are freaking out, like, what are people saying? I'm guessing that's part of it is they don't want the super sort of rich guy to be the one in charge of Twitter. You know, it feels like less of a public space at that point. Um, But I maybe it is that they think. So he says, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. So maybe it is that Trump is coming back and they don't like that. I'm not, I really don't know what the problem is. Like, I don't think for me, this is going to change my day-to-day Twitter usage at all. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Lots of people saying I'm not, I'm not interested in Twitter. If Elon Musk owns it, I'm going to leave Twitter. But no one's really saying why. They're maybe just not fans.
1: Then don't get me wrong. This could be an absolute train wreck, but I'm not sure we know yet, except for $44 billion. Can I, can I just make one little, grinds my gears. Can we we do a quick, a quick little one here?
2: Let's do it.
1: Uh, If you were going to be the person who tweets that that buys a lot of food and a lot of house for the people around the world, like Uh you could have spent it, maybe not. Maybe that's not your maybe it's not your money. Like maybe we want the guy with forty four billion dollars to be doing stuff that should but maybe he's going to do that also. I don't also, know. I mean,
2: if you've got forty four billion dollars to spend on a tech platform, you've got another, you know, several billion yeah. dollars to give to food around the world. So let's assume maybe he's doing both and going to space while yeah. he's at it. Let's look at the plank in our own eye. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> this, here's something someone said about buying Twitter. I know we weren't going to spend our whole time mm-hmm. on this, but I think it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure if I understand this, Brian, so help me. Elon Musk is buying Twitter CNN plus is shutting down Disney is being reined in it's a bad time to be woke so maybe people are leaving Twitter because they don't think Elon Musk is woke enough
1: uh, he's certainly not that and that's kind it. of his thing that so we shall see yeah uh I, I think it's just Twitter right it's not we're, we're not changing the world here okay all right <laughs> here's what I do want to ask you from my weekend it was the weekend after Easter okay Okay. uh yes I preached you I don't know if you preached or you're at least at church I was at church yep good energy whatever but we joked last week that the Sunday after Easter is always yeah uh, uh, always less people but yeah. here's the main thing I want to ask you Easter, you're you're on this high. Mm-hmm. We're all walking around our houses yelling, "He is risen!" Teaching our kids to yell, "He is risen!" Indeed, we're yelling it at church. <laughs> so There's people you haven't seen in, yeah. in months yeah. and years. Everybody's hugging. Everybody's
2: happy yeah. at Easter. Yeah.
1: There's the inevitable letdown,
2: right. right? Like
1: we used to talk about it in youth ministry, being on that the, the uh, mountaintop and then down. Yes. We, although know the reality that we are supposed to quote unquote live in light of Easter. 365 yes. days yes. a year. So let me ask you the difficult question, Aubrey. How do we do that?
2: Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, the, the guy who preached, a guy named Brad Thornton, he works at uh, Wheaton Academy. Uh, He's one of the elders at our church. He preached yesterday, and he did. He reminded us that now we're in a season called Tide, which mm-hmm. is from now until Pentecost. We're sort of still celebrating the ripple effects of the resurrection in church history and in our lives. And what he called us to do was to... Uh, make a lifestyle of rejoicing to so remember that the power of Easter throughout the rest of our lives, especially these upcoming days. So he talked about intentional rejoicing, meaning mm. like declare before people what you see God doing in your life, in their life, and just bear witness publicly, verbally to what you see God doing. And he kind of he talked a little bit about rejoicing as a spiritual discipline. Ultimately, what we're rejoicing in is Jesus himself. But he kind of just talked about that that spiritual discipline of Of remembering how good God is, what God has done, and then like declaring that to yourself and to other people. That's good. So that's one way I think we can do that. That's really good. I have
1: two thoughts on that. The first, pro move by you and your husband to hand off the Sunday after Easter. (laughs) That was actually,
2: you know, we were pleasantly. Pleasantly surprised our church was a lot more full than we expected we it to too. be for Easter Sunday. So the people listened to the show, they Thank listened you. to us and they came. But yeah, that was definitely a promo. You take I, that Sunday. I,
1: I felt that as well, actually, because I was warning our people like, hey, just be this Sunday. Yeah, and yeah. then people start streaming in yeah.
2: here. Oh, okay. It's gonna be okay. me of little
1: faith. Uh I would also say this, Aubrey, uh we spend and we talked we talked about this leading up to Easter. Take some time to read the resurrection story. Take some time to read the story. You don't only have to read that story at Easter time. <laughs> you don't only have to preach that message, yes, pastors, at yes, Easter time. That's good, Brian. We are resurrection people. 52 Sundays yeah, a yeah, year, that's right. not just on Easter. So keep celebrating Easter. We still want to—I uh, actually ended the service yesterday, and I did the benediction, and you know what I had him do at the end? We did He Has Risen, He Has Risen Indeed.
2: Oh, that's a good idea, Brian. We can Brian. do it again and You're again and again
1: and uh, and go down that road. So mm. uh, give me 30 seconds on what it means, though, to live in light of the resurrection, not just on Sundays, but all year. How does it change things in our Mm day-to-day lives apart from Easter?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, one, it means that we are a people submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all that we do, and so that means every aspect of our lives, not just going to church on Sunday, but... The way that we spend our money, the way we think about money, the way we think about our marriage and how we raise our kids, the way we relate to our neighbors, strangers, and even those we think are our enemies. All of it we do in light of the gospel out of love for Jesus Christ. And then I would say, secondly, we have that eternal perspective, both that we get to experience part of God's kingdom here on earth now, but we know that one day we'll experience God's hope and God's power and God's, you know, resurrection yes. goodness in full and. And so we hold on to our hope even when life feels like deplorable and inexplicable because we know that one day that total experience of renewal and rejoicing is coming.
1: That's a great word. So we want to be resurrection people. We want to be Easter people throughout the year. That's right. Uh, And it can be tough, right? You Mm. come off that adrenaline rush of Easter, that mountaintop experience. Uh, But keep going, right? Keep going and keep praying and thinking on the resurrection. I mean, Aubrey, we've named our show The Common Good because for many reasons, but one is we want to try to um, emulate a little bit or give an example for not just how to agree but also how to talk about difficult subjects where you may not always agree right
2: right um, how to respectfully disagree
1: yeah what was uh what was, what was dr it? jim dennis I, I respectfully, respectfully i, I disagree. disagree yes yeah. and it was all about the loss of civility mm. uh in our country and so and he he's trying to speak for civil discourse yeah. let's get back yeah. to civility Your um, love.
2: by the way that's so good yeah
1: it's really good and so with that in mind I want to have a conversation that's a difficult one because here's what else we also want to talk about we want to help people go how do we um, learn from each other and talk mm-hmm. and nuance not everything's black and white where, where I go this so I want to talk about racism yeah and here's the danger of a racism conversation
2: yeah
1: uh, you're either woke or you're racist <laughs> Right, right. This like is there's what I mean nothing by, in the
2: middle. This is yeah. what I mean by yeah. lack
1: of nuance. So yeah. you're often the woke one right. of the two of us, yes. quote unquote. I use right. that. You We're know. being
2: facetious. Tongue Thank, in you. Cheek. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Thank uh, you. But you're often described that way. But yeah. here's here's what I know. Uh, I think that there's there's racism in in our country that yeah. and in our churches that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I'm not like whatever. Right. No. Right. Uh, it, and you're having conversations across the board as well. And yeah. so. Uh, all of that is kind of lead up to go, uh, the easy thing in these conversations is just to go, Oh, Aubrey, you're so woke.
2: Right. Right. Or, you're just, or, oh, Brian, a, you're just so you don't ever
1: think about this. You're just a racist. You know what I mean? And we yes. start throwing terms at each other yes. and we do this in conversations of, But we do this in theology yep. conversations. Yep. We do this in all sorts of yep. political conversations for sure. Yeah. COVID conversations. Yeah. It's easier for me to label you a thing. Right. And therefore disregard you. Oh, that's okay? so true,
2: Brian. And that's such a good point. And part of what
1: we want to do on the show is bring people on, but also with each other. Yeah. Go, no, it's not so simple like right, that. Right. Uh, and so with all of that said, and you and I debated whether we even talk about this story. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. There was an opinion piece at MSNBC.com uh, written by Jahan Jones. And it's simply titled this, What's Behind Those Celebrations of a Judge Ending Mask Mandates? We know one thing that motivates many people to reject COVID safety measures, but few in the media seem willing to address it. And so he starts talking about... um, he calls them bizarre but you and I talked about them last week where literally people were cheering on yeah, airplanes yeah. the end of the mask mandate yeah because
2: it was because it happened like while people were on flights
1: yes and he goes yeah. on to say the people opposing mask requirements and other health safety measures may want to believe they're acting on their own volition but the fact is they'll never know and he goes on to say that the that uh covid has disproportionately affected um, minorities, yeah. African-Americans yeah. Non-white uh, people. versus white people. And so he's saying that this is the the cheering of mask mandates is uh, going away is yet another sign that people aren't willing to think about what other people are feeling, yeah. aren't willing. Yeah. And so yeah. he's trying to say, yeah. and I would say he's pretty inflammatory in this, but I think we could get to a more nuanced talk. He's trying to say that the way people reacted to the ending of mask mandates Shows the racial problem that we have in our country in some ways.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Uh, how did you feel about? Because I wrote it to you and I was like, yeah. I think this guy completely overstepped his yeah. bounds, and you pushed back on that.
2: Yeah, I I didn't think it was as inflammatory as as you did, Brian. And I think part of that is, and you know, I was ha- I'm happy that mask mandates are gone. So don't <laughs> get me wrong. But what I've always said is, if it if it bothers someone you're around, then you should put on a mask mm-hmm. for them, because as Christian people, we're called to love our neighbors. To humble ourselves and to put other people first. But I, for me, I think it was more this article to me felt more like a call for people to still recognize that COVID disproportionately affects non-white people. And i that's what I saw, that he was just kind of calling that out. Like, I don't think we've actually acknowledged that enough. Hmm. But um, and so for me, I thought, OK, this is interesting. Like, here's my I don't know this guy. But here's a black brother saying that he feels like that uh, the the black population, the black community has not been honored. Their lives have been discarded, especially when it comes to covid. And so for me, when I hear that, I tend to to want to just go, "Okay, I need to hear more about that because that's Mm. not been my experience as a white person. I have some privilege when it comes to this. So let me hear let me hear what's going on here. And is there something that I need to learn? Is there a way that I need to humble myself and change so that my brothers and sisters of color feel heard in Mm. what they're calling racism? I'm just not quick to be like, no, that's not racist. And you're not either. I'm not saying you are. I'm just I'm probably quicker. You're quicker than I am. (laughs) I'm very willing to say this wasn't my experience, but I believe this was your experience, a person of color. Because I know that racism is is like its tentacles are everywhere. And so I want to know more and I want to humble myself and I want to understand better than I do.
1: So you're very much want to take – and you and your husband, to your credit, have really set up a church, um, uh, multicultural, yeah. um, multi-ethnic. Sorry, that's the word we're looking for. Yeah. I, I just have brain cramps all yeah, the time we, now. We lead a but, multi-ethnic yes. church.
2: And so we are – I mean, to be fair, we are having – Anti racism conversations all the time and have been for many years. So, we, I recognize that in some ways, Kevin and I are just in a different spot. I'm not saying a better spot, but a different (laughs) spot than other people are when it comes to this conversation because we've been at it for a very long time now some ways, I do think it's a better spot because we're less racist than we used to be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask, all right, let me ask the the really... Well, I
2: think I'd rather ask you, like, tell me why this, because it brought up something for you, and I'm I'm curious for you why, like, it felt inflammatory, because that's a strong word.
1: Yeah, he gets it. So anyway, I would say, all right, this is where I'm going to potentially step in it, where we're going to have a conversation here. Sometimes it feels to me, because to me... I understand that I don't, you know, I have different perspective yeah. as a white guy. Yeah. But to me, the celebration of the mask mandate being gone was everybody's sick of the mask mandate. Mm. And there's a lot of studies out there that show the mask mandate doesn't really do anything. That's yeah. one of the things he does here. Yeah. It's obvious that you don't care because the mask mandate is the way to keep safe. Yeah. Uh, so here, uh, if I'm just going to be really blunt, let's just yeah. lay it on the cable. Yeah. Sometimes it feels to me in in some conversations that when you look for when, when it feels like the conversation is always about racism, yeah. it actually detracts from where the conversations actually need to be about racism. Yeah,
2: I've heard you say that before. So I've the mask mandate to before. me yeah. and
1: nobody I've talked to in my life and not just white people in my life, nobody yeah. I've talked to has described the mask mandates in racial terms.
2: OK, and nobody has.
1: Now, it sounds like you have.
2: Yeah, but nobody yeah.
1: has to me. And so when I read this, yeah. I was like. This feels like the wrong conversation. Like, hmm. like it feels like you're searching here, hmm. and, and we sometimes like it. Almost feels like we're trying to. We've swung a pendulum where, where everything is being looked at through the lens of racism, and I, I worry that that takes away from the hard conversations to where those conversations most need to happen. Does that make sense?
2: I, I don't agree with you, but it makes sense. Okay. Like, I can totally see what you're saying. I think where I disagree with you is, is simply because I don't. I don't think we and I and we're here, we're two white people having this conversation. So let's own that. Do you think people knew that on the air? I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, they definitely were not <laughs> Um I don't think we as white people have necessarily done enough to to really listen and hear when things are racism. Mm-hmm. We are so quick to be like, that's not racism. Don't call me racist. Don't that I that so a statement like that, if we're if we call one thing racist and that detracts from real racism. I think all that does is really diminish the conversation. Cause now you're saying like, I'm unwilling to believe that this man is saying I'm unwilling to believe this perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think it detracts from it. Cause I don't think we've done the work. Well, I guess that's what I mean. Like I, I it's like for me as a woman, I'm going to say as many times as I possibly can that's sexist that's sexist that's sexist that's sexist and you might disagree with me but i need you to hear and i'm not talking about you brian but like i need you to hear this and so i'm gonna say it until actually it's heard repented of lamented transformed
1: let me ask you one quick question i I totally get what you're saying and that makes sense yeah yeah as a white male. So if you're telling me about sexism or he's Which, writing way, about I'm
2: married to a white man, I have three white sons. I or, love white men. <laughs> or
1: he's writing about racism. Yeah. And you said you might disagree. You might disagree. Here's the one thing that I've wondered. Am I allowed to disagree? Can you're, I say no? I don't think this is yeah. right. And let's have a conversation about that.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I think that's the beauty of our country is you're wholeheartedly allowed to disagree. I'm not sure. I, I guess I don't understand that posture. I think instead the posture should be. Let me learn from what he's saying here so that I can change. And then, then decide. Like, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I like, I, I think a posture of like listening rather than dismissing is where that's just where I end up landing. Gotcha. But again, you're this is America. you're allowed to disagree.
1: Good. I'm glad to know you're wrong no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I do want to talk about little church Big Faith written by Megan Fowler uh, over at uh, leadership over at Christianity today. Uh, she writes there are plenty of challenges for small congregations, but there's also unique strengths. So you and I've been trying to tackle this a lot lately. Um, we are both part of, you know, small to medium sized mm-hmm. churches, yes. especially in this area, yeah. um, in this area of the country, I should say, because yeah. there are really some places, even big areas where the, all the churches are small.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: But where it's not true is in the Chicago Yes, land. We
2: have lots of mega churches, lots of even our medium sized churches are really big churches. And so, yeah, but yeah, in, in fact, can I tell you a funny story? Uh, you want to hear it? I was uh, I was talking to a local church in Wisconsin earlier today, and I said something. They said something like they're a small church in their community. And I said, oh, I love the I love small local churches. Our church is a small local church and local church. And I came downstairs. My husband was like, don't tell people we have a small church. <laughs> we, we have a growing church. It is a di-. I'm like, no small churches are good. It's okay. Let's own it. I've won you over. Here we (laughs) go. Uh,
1: So this article is going to say this, that there are both uh, advantages and disadvantages. So let's start with the negative. Okay. What are the unique struggles for a church? You know, 100 people, 150 people, whatever else, 50 people. What are the unique struggles? What makes that difficult?
2: I mean, You know, I think some of the obvious ones are like budgets, Mm -hmm. you know, like you don't necessarily have a budget, uh, to hire all the talent you want or all get all the cool equipment that you want. Um, you, you don't necessarily, therefore you don't necessarily have a pastor that can work for just the church. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, he or she might be bivocational, and that's wonderful and that's beautiful, but then they're divided in their like energy and their passion and their effort. Right. Um, I think some of the harder things about a small church Also, might be like our church. We don't have our own building, we rent a space Mm. now. We love doing that, we love giving to the city that way. Why do you
1: love doing that? Is it, is that all it's about? Because everyone, I've never rented, yeah, and everyone who's ever rented. I always hear it just gets so tiring to set up. Yeah, it gets so, so we, tiring you know, to not we be our place. We have
2: flight. a pretty sweet setup. We rent from the West Chicago uh, Community Center called the Arc Center, and we have a space that like is ours every Sunday, and oh. we get to keep all of our equipment at the community center. Beautiful. And we feel like, because we're paying them rent, we feel like we're giving back to the city each month, so that feels really good. That said, I'm not saying we don't ever want a building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and you're not
1: setting up every week. You're no. not putting up chairs. Yeah, and...
2: exactly. Um, But the, but the pain point is a lot of small churches don't have the funds for their own building. And so, like, you can only meet uh, in a large group gathering on a Sunday morning. Otherwise, mm. you're having to find spaces or maybe, you know, so so those are some of the downsides that come to mind. What do you think, Brian?
1: Yeah, I think those are good. I think the biggest one, like you said, has to do with staffing because at a bigger church you can meet— a, and there's some pain to this, but— but in general, those of us in smaller churches get very jealous of the way larger churches can hire at their problems.
2: Totally. If I had
1: a nickel for every time a bigger church buddy of mine said, oh, you need this, just go hire that," right. And I'm like,
0: you right. don't think I thought right, of that? Right. You know,
1: why isn't that person full time? <laughs> right. I don't know, because one of us can be, and I'm going to and keep And I need mean being... <laughs> to
2: be, because I started the church. <laughs> and
1: so I do think that's a difficulty, and I think there's just... Perception, I think, can be difficult, Mm. right? We don't want to talk pridefully that way, but it is. And people in your church, you want them to feel good. Uh, So you might be wondering, what are we talking about here? The year year 2000, the median worship attendance in U.S. congregations was 137 people. Uh, What do you think it was in 2020? Median. Median. So 137 in the year 2000.
2: Uh, I mean, it's probably an extreme number, but I'll guess like 60. 60. Close. Sixty-five. Sixty-five. And so that's the wow. trend. It
1: went one thirty-seven every five years to one twenty-nine wow. to one oh five to eighty to sixty five. Wow. So that's what we're talking about. But Aubrey, I do wanna let's end positive here. Uh what are the benefits? Yes. What are the unique benefits yes. that, that you maybe could not do in a church of 500, 1, 000, mm-hmm. five hundred, a thousand, five thousand? Uh, What can we embrace in the quote-unquote smaller church?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's that sense of family. Like, I think everybody knows each other pretty well. There are things like the pastor. When somebody needs to get a hold of the pastor or a pastor, they can. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you're just a phone call away, a text message away. You live down the block. You're not like—it's not hard to get to the person you want to talk to. I think the beautiful part of a smaller expression of a church, too, is because we can't just hire away our problems— everyone is empowered to do the work of the Mm. church. And that may mean on Sunday morning, that may mean discipleship throughout the week. That may mean serving in the city, but like everyone's empowered to like take up uh, this mission and vision of the church and go after it together. So that's something beautiful. And then I, I know some big church pastors and the pressure that they feel Mm. in leadership, I would not wish that on my worst enemies. Like, it (laughs) is real. We got to pray for the big church pastors out there. They need it. And so though leadership, even in small churches, can be really, really difficult, imagine that times 500. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of pressure on a pastor and a pastor's family.
1: Absolutely. So uh, this Christianity Today article, they say churches from one to 100 uh, so, under a hundred, they have the highest percentage of members who come on a weekly basis. Mm. They give more generously per person, Wow, and designate the highest percentage of church budget to missions and charity cool. and the members are more likely to volunteer within church ministries, kind of what you said yeah. and then they get at one o one to two fifty and over two fifty uh but there are unique ones. I would also say this: I think smaller churches necessarily have to be more. I think of your guys' church. You are very enmeshed in your specific community.
2: That is so real. They're not regional. Yes. You're not like,
1: I'm a regional church. You, right. are, you are a West, West Chicago, Chicago church. West
2: Chicago specific church. And my guess yes. is
1: if you had 5,000 people, mm-hmm. you might have a, a West Chicago focus, but you'd feel this pressure to go Absolutely. and start expanding that. And yeah. so uh, quick word to the pastors out there, uh, if you're in one of these smaller churches, you're not less of a pastor than the ones Amen, in the middle. Amen,
2: Brian. Room. That's that's Brian's ministry right there. All church, all church, map No, all, all ministry, ministry matters. matters. We're going to talk about that later this week. But you're exactly right, Brian.
1: Yeah. So keep fighting the fight. Get use, lean into the things that you can lean mm. into. Being like you said, knowing all your people's names, standing at the back door, shaking yeah. hands, preaching to yeah. your congregation being immersed uh, in your context. I think when you lean into that, I think you can have a lot of staying power, but Mm -hmm. when you're kind of like, I want to be the big guy, I want to be that. I want to be that. It's always that. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to go well.
2: Brian, mm. I have some big news I'm over the weekend. It. But at first, I want to hear about your weekend. What would you
1: do? Oh, you're bearing the lead. I thought it was your weekend. Uh, I told you before I had baseball, my son's baseball game. So we went there. Fun. Uh, oh, that's right. Saturday, got a Saturday couldn't have been more beautiful. It was so wonderful. Was Sunday, there was all sorts of rain issues. And that was uh, too bad. But they got the games in. Unfortunately, did not win. Uh, the tournament, Aww. but it was it was fun. It's always just fun. I like the other parents. I like just being out there. Yeah. Uh, so that took up a lot of my weekend. But church also. Yep. And uh, went to Home Depot, did a little bit of a, of a house did project.
2: Did you? Yeah. That's exciting.
1: So Carrie, my wife, and my oldest daughter Madeline, they were gone all day Saturday up at um, my daughter's. We go to Hope College up in Holland, Michigan, and so they were up there all cool. week because Ho- Hope does a fabulous job of like. They already got you. They got your deposit and this and that. You start at the end of August. What do you do in the middle there? They keep having touch points. They keep. And so they had anyone who got in could come up this weekend for the Saturday. And so she met her. She had already met. She got to spend more time with her roommate. Very cool. They They gave them all sorts of swag, like all of this stuff. And so it was great. A great weekend. But it pales in comparison to your weekend.
2: Uh, my weekend was very, very big. Uh, and I was able to announce to the world that I became an aunt over Day. the weekend. Uh, I'm already an aunt on Kevin's side, but my, this is my my own sister's first baby. She had her first baby over the weekend. It actually wasn't over the weekend. We were just allowed to finally talk about it over the weekend. She went in last Wednesday for a checkup because she was having pretty severe preeclampsia. And after being in the hospital for several hours, they said, We need to take this baby right now. So her baby was born at 32 weeks. Her name is Adeline Grace. And she'll be in NICU for probably six weeks, but she's very strong and she's doing really well. well. Yeah, yeah. She's she had to be intubated for a time, but she she's actually no longer intubated. She does have some oxygen here and there, but generally she's doing very well. And my sister is recovering. And when will the first visit
1: by the aunt be? Yeah, I
2: know. I I I've got to figure that out because I was just there for a baby shower, but I'm like, man, I almost wish I didn't go to the baby shower so I could have like been there this weekend. But we'll we'll be there as soon as we possibly can because I gotta i got to put my arms around that little baby. I'm so excited. So if you follow me on social media, you'll probably get annoyed with all of the baby pictures I'm going to share. But very, very, very fun. I cannot wait to see her. And, um, Brian, this is this is a little bit of a dark turn from that celebratory news. But, of course, there was a moment when, you know, things were a little bit – it's always a little scary when they're taking your baby yes. early. Especially 32 weeks. You know, you want that baby to be in there as long as possible. And I know lots of women have stories where – the babies uh, had to come out at even like twenty two, twenty three weeks. I mean, just you know, unbelievable what women go through to have children, and what these little precious babies go through. And by the way, how amazing NICUs are around the world, and NICU nurses are like the greatest Crazy. ever. Unbelievable the things they could, they can do. But I was uh, reading an article over at the Huff Post, and a woman was talking about how um, she had twins and one of her twin sons died. Mm. I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there have a a similar experience or or have lost a child and know how terrible that is. And what she says is that she was shocked by some of the things the people felt okay saying to her. And here's what she says. So many of the people we encountered had no idea what to do or what to say, but some said downright cruel things. Mm. And these were some of the things that people said. And Brian, I know you and I have kind of talked about this thing before, like what not to say to someone who's going through a hard time. But I thought this one, this in light of losing children, mm-hmm. is would be a really important conversation for us to have. So she said some people said at least you have two other children <laughs> some people said thank god you have another baby to keep you busy that's
1: the one i would think people would say in a in a twin situation mm-hmm. i would suspect there's a lot of uh, at least one of them lived, or at least mm. you have one, or at mm. least... And anytime it begins with at least, yeah. that's probably bad. I was reading about the soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo. He just announced last week that him and his wife yeah. had twins early, and one of them didn't make yes. it. And I'm sure that's that oftentimes the answer to people in those situations is... At least, at least, at least. And that's just painful.
2: Oh, it's so painful. I think that's such a good word, Brian. Like anytime you're thinking about saying that phrase, at least, just don't say it. Just keep it to yourself. She says, of course, that, you know, the kind of old standby, everything happens for a reason. God must have had a plan for him. Hmm. What she says is what you said. There's no at least when you've lost one of your children. My surviving twin is not a consolation prize. Children are not interchangeable or replaceable. And anyway, it's just a painful story. She actually talks about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's son and how she read many of the comments that people put on social media after he made that announcement. And we'll move on to some positive things, Brian. But some of the things people said, I send condolences to the family, but doesn't this man have like five other children? Uh, At least, you know, you can have babies. Somebody Mm. said at least you have other at least you have other children. And one of the twins lived And, you know, when you read comments like that, I think what we know, we know that's probably coming from people's own pain, especially something like at least you can have kids. Like you assume that that person is coming from a place of not being able to have kids, Mm. but it's still just devastating to tear someone down in the middle of a painful loss of a child. I'm not even sure what would make you want to do or say something like that?
1: I think a couple different things come to mind. One is we think we got to comment on everything.
2: I guess that's right. We comment on everything. Uh,
1: And also, uh, I think what happens in times of tragedy, whether it's a loss of a child or any kind of loss, Mm -hmm. is we feel like silence is the worst thing.
2: Yeah. In reality,
1: silence is often the best thing. Mm. Like if, if you had something happen to you, uh, I would rather have somebody it's like Job's friends in the book of Job, right? Yeah. Like you don't want people who are just going to cut, stay around you and either rationalize or diminish mm-hmm. or, you know, speak for God or whatever else right. it's going to be. And try to anything that minimizes your pain and your experience, I think, is not helpful. Yeah. Who was the most helpful in that story? And many of us have found this out with people in our own lives who's, hey, I don't know what to say. Yes. But I'm here for you. Can I get you a meal? Can I take your kids? Can I mow your lawn? Whatever else it might be. And if you need to talk, please don't hesitate to call me. If you want, even if you will need someone to share scripture Mm -hmm. with you, I would be glad to do that. Mm Because sometimes people aren't ready to hear even God. This might sound weird to say from a pastor. Sometimes people just aren't ready to hear God's work. That's right, Brian. Oh, well, you'll be okay because... Uh, God works all things out for the good of all. Well, hmm, yeah. as I'm staring at my, you know, I'm at mm. the funeral of my loved one, I yeah. don't think that's helpful yeah. for me. It might be true, but not helpful. And so I think silence is your friend in this thing. Mm. Presence is important. Yep. Silence can be good.
2: Yep. That's so, such a good, such a good reminder for us, Brian. And I, I do think, you know, Brian's exactly right. People aren't necessarily like in at that point of their pain, don't necessarily want scripture kind of thrown at them in a way that can feel petty or under undermining or minimizing. I think Brian's exactly right. Presence. What did you say? And silence. Silence. Those words. That's so, (laughs) that's such a, that's what we can do instead of making comments, just be quiet and trust. I mean, I think this is the hard part. We so desperately have said this before, but we so desperately feel like we need to balance the skills of grief for people, but that's God's job. That's not your job. Your job is to be there Be present. Mm -hmm. Let them know you're there. Check in, you know, every few days. Hey, just know I'm thinking about you. I'm so sorry you're walking through this. And that's it. That's all you need to do. And that ministers to people. Brian, with just like the last minute that we have for maybe somebody who's listening right now is going through a hard time, perhaps the loss of a child or something devastating. Do you have, even though we've just said be quiet, do you have some sort of encouragement for them?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't want to minimize your pain, like in all the ways we just said, by saying, oh, God. What we do know is that God is near to the brokenhearted. That's right. He said it, uh, I'm near to the brokenhearted, and he promises to be present with us. um, And uh, what we always say at C.S. Lewis, right? Did he see the one that said that God um, whispers in our... Basically, God whispers when things are great, but pain is the great Mm -hmm. megaphone of God, right? Like, I would say lean into God, and he is there for you. He provides comfort. And then ultimately... This is the beauty that, that we can celebrate that this world is not all that there is. That this is not the end of the story. What did we celebrate at Easter? Death is not ultimate. That's right. And we can hold on to that. But I also don't want to minimize what you're going through. Uh, I want to say I'm really sorry. Yeah, I'm really yeah, sorry.
2: That's good. Good, Brian. Thanks for that. As always, we love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast. But we don't want you to spend too much time on your phones being distracted <laughs> uh-huh. because we want you to live an undistracted life. Okay. And- so we want you to engage with the show, but then put your phone away and be with your family. Uh, Brian, I'm bringing that up because you and I have talked about this before. And uh, somebody, somebody pretty famous in the world is talking about a lot now. That is the idea of distraction. And the one he's talking about is Bob Goff. Mm-hmm. He's over at Relevant Magazine talking about the power of an undistracted life. Now, before we dive into this, what would you say is a distracted life the way we've been talking about it?
1: Uh, I think a couple things come to mind. One, now, it's not a bad thing in and of itself to be multitasking, but I think if you're always multitasking, uh, if you are constantly, while I'm talking to somebody, I'm checking my phone or I'm I'm trying to write a sermon, but I'm also email. Like, if you're constantly doing multiple things yeah. at once, again, sometimes you have to, but if that's your regular rhythm, I would call that a distracted life. If you don't have any moments of time where you can sit and... Just enjoy being in the presence of your spouse or your family or your friends. Like if it's un- if you're not able to uh, unplug, I think that's a big one.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, we talked about this often. If you're unable to read the Bible and pray,
2: mm. I think
1: you're probably distracted. Like if every time you you bow mm. your head to pray or you look to slow down, all you're doing is thinking about a million different things. Yeah. Like. I guess i would I would sum it up this way if you feel like the, well, here 's the picture if the hamster on the wheel is never not running mm. and instead everything's just constantly going yeah. fast and you're thinking yeah. and you're this and this and this and this I got list here, list yeah. here on my phone, I got one minute of free time i'm going to check Twitter on yeah. my phone, whatever else it might be. Uh, that would that's kind of how I think that of is a distracted life. Yep.
2: Well, Bob Goff, kind of like what you just said, he says distraction comes in many forms, which is perhaps why it's so insidious. He says there are the obvious distractions, TikTok, television, tabloids, little things that eat away at our free time. But then he says that there are broader issues at play. Everybody's in everybody's grill about stuff. that You could be distracted by coming up with a worldview to protect you from it, Goff says. You think this is not a safe place. I don't want to feel rejection. So what I'd rather do is fake it. And then we become caricatures. This is really interesting. Here's what he says. He uses himself as an example. Do you know about his well-known affinity for, like, balloons and public whimsy? Brian, do you know that he's famous for this? Bob is famous for, like— see a picture in this article of him with balloons. He's famous for, like, having a parade on his street in front of his neighbor who's suffering from cancer with all these balloons. He's famous for renting out Disneyland— For people to go. Like Bob Goff is about like bringing joy and whimsy to life, and balloons are on the cover of his books. He loves balloons. Okay. So here's what he says with that. If now you know that, he says, I'm always, quote, Bob the balloon guy, because that's what everybody's expecting. Then they don't get to know that I can be a deeply introspective person, too. And he says, the pressure of living our lives in public. as the social media age requires of us, can lead to us being distracted at an eternal level. Here's what he's getting to. This is what I want to talk about. We are more concerned with cultivating an acceptable identity than we are with focusing on who we were created to be. Mm. He says we can be distracted because we can have two personas going on, that online sort of like brand Mm -hmm. we're putting out there and the real us. I think he's putting his finger on something that's really, really true and important for us to get better at. But I haven't even wrapped my mind around this mm. a lot. But I, I, there is something true about social media that it causes you, whether or not you even really mean to or want to, it causes you to present a certain version of yourself online yeah. that may not be the whole picture the question I have, Brian, is, is social media the place to put like all of you online? No, yeah. no.
1: I think the answer is uh, put only the good stuff or put nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like nobody, gosh, I would unfollow a person very quickly if they were just dumping all of their worst mm-hmm. secrets. Like sometimes I, mm-hmm. sometimes I, maybe I'm cynical here. Sometimes I feel like that's performative.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. right.
1: It comes out of the same desire for everyone to see all my good stuff. Mm -hmm. There's like this, oh, I'm so sorry. Or, oh, you're so brave. Or, oh, it's still this weird. Yeah. I think the answer is not putting everything on social media, good and bad. I don't think it's running to social media to get your affirmation for good or bad things. Mm. So uh, that's what I do think. He Let me ask you about this line he says in the article, though. He says... I just said, I'm done with being distracted.
2: Hmm.
1: How? Like, what does that look like? What do you think it yeah. looks like to be done? And that's kind of the point of his article. Right. But what does it mean? So uh, th- he obviously got to the point where he had to make, he made a decision. Yes. I'm going to be done with this. right? What does that actually look like? How's that life different? To you Not even his, but what comes to mind for you of what life would look like differently if you really said, I'm done with being distracted?
2: So in my life, what it would look like would be like I literally walk away from all social media platform. Mm. My phone is simply a phone call for or phone for making phone calls. Maybe sometimes. Uh, Yeah, but sometimes I'm very distracted by text. So I don't know. No Voxer. And no (laughs) Voxer. I'm very distracted by Voxer. And it probably would also look like no TV. Like, I'm oh. just like, I am just there and I am present. I don't want to live that way. But I think the concept of somehow letting go or or putting the things that distract us in their proper place, that's what I have to get better at. What would yeah. it look like for you to live it, to just say, I'm done being distracted?
1: Yeah, you went a little further than I would. But I think for <laughs> sure it would probably mean... Uh, much less if not any time on social media. But I also think there's a there's a simplicity to it. There's a simplicity to I'm done being distracted that says, I'm going to figure out what it means for me to live in the moment. Mm. So it, for some people, their phones are fine, like text. But other people, it's like, I need to uh, put my phone away for hours of the day or I yeah. need to not turn on my email, uh, just have it up. Yeah. Uh, for some, it's television. I I think, um, yeah. I don't know that there's a an a, an answer for everything for everybody on this one. I think you know when you know. Mm. Uh, like I know, right? I know when I'm living distracted. Yeah. I know when I, I went out to lunch with my wife today, which was wonderful. A mid cool. Sometimes I think. It, when it can be really hard to get date nights because we have baseball. Yeah, you could softball, do like a lunch date, date lunch or something. Before mm-hmm. our show today. At so good. O- we went to Olive Garden, nice. by the way. Nice. For uh, just salads and breadsticks. Love it. It was wonderful. Love it. And soup. Uh, that was an aside. But here's what I do know. If I'm sitting at a date with my wife, like if you ask me, what do you most want to do? Yeah. Near the top of that list is going to go, I want to have an uninterrupted date with my wife. Totally. But in that date I'm thinking what's going on on my phone and I'm fe- I right. see I, maybe I turned it off but I can tell I got a text right. or I'm checking my email like mm-hmm. that's a telltale sign that something's wrong with you.
2: Absolutely. If you're
1: Here's another one. I remember last year we went to the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And I was mad that I wasn't getting good phone reception.
2: Stop. Stop it. Well, what does that say about yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, that's at real. at the
1: freaking Grand right, Canyon. Right, right. Be at the
2: Grand Canyon, with dude. With my family. Yeah. So I'm
1: with the people I most want to be at. Yeah. At a breathtaking place. Right. And you're missing That brings it. awe in this. And I was present. Yeah. But I was also kind of frustrated that my phone wasn't working. Yeah. And you're like, your phone should only be a camera at this moment because you're at the Grand Canyon Absolutely. with your family. You don't
2: need to be checking anything else.
1: If you can relate to some of those things mm-hmm. I just said you've got a distraction problem and you've yeah. got to work on it.
2: Yep, I think that's a, I think that's exactly right. There's a distraction problem that probably all have and we need to work on it. Here's how we'll end. Goff says that it's not enough to be undistracted. You have to take all of that free energy and focus on something important to you. He says, buy the ticket, make the pie, whatever it is. So basically you're... It's interesting because he's saying fill in that distracted space with something that's actually meaningful and will actually like bring life maybe to you and to other people. So I think this is a good this is a good start of a conversation. There's a lot more for us to unpack how we can begin to live undistracted lives and be present with those around us. It is the end of today's show. And at the end of every show, we love to bring you something that's encouraging inspiring challenging something to put a smile on your face this is not going to sound like this is going to put a smile on your face but it will be challenging and inspiring this is from churchleaders.com two enemy attacks we must recognize now before i dive into this brian what are some of uh, if you've if you've preached on like spiritual warfare before, ways the enemy tries to go after us? What do you usually tell your people?
1: Yeah, it's not something we talk about in our culture very much, right? right? We're very rational people, uh, but I would I would point them to scripture in a couple different places. One, I would talk about where Paul says uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of this world. Like, and you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, wait, wait, that what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh also there's the very famous verse that des- that describes Satan as a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Right. And that t- that speaks to the power of community as well like who's watching out for that lion with mm. you? <laughs> like who's got your back? Wow, that's good. And you know I think so we can point throughout scripture that there is um the, that there is an enemy out there. Uh and so that we that then you can get into some conversations also about um you know, the armor of God that we, yeah. you know, that we are told, how do we fight off these attacks? But I think the biggest struggle is to help people understand that there is an enemy. Right. That this is not just some biblical time thing where, yeah. oh, now we're smarter and more rational. Yeah. We've got things figured out. No, no, this is still a thing. Right. And if you don't believe it, then now you become susceptible. So mm. it raises urgency. So I think kind of the knowing is half the battle deal. I think that's where we got to start.
2: Yep, that's good. Knowing is half the battle. All right. Where
1: is that from? Knowing is half the battle. Uh, you should know this from I, the eighties.
2: Yeah, I was. Just, it's from a commercial, right? For is it?
1: It's not just a commercial; it's also a show.
2: Oh, I was thinking it was the one like, "Don't let your, don't let your kids do no, drugs." No, no,
1: it's a, it's a specific show. Specific. I'm getting us off track. Knowing here. is
2: half the battle. Ah, oh, give me more hints because I really want to guess it.
1: You do. Yeah. It is a. It is a show, but also a set of toys. That is very much, that is, that is male-focused. G.I. Joe? Yes! Hey! There you now, go. Why,
2: uh, this is not really important, but we're going to follow this train for just a minute. Why does G.I. Joe say knowing us off the bottle?
1: Knowing is half the battle. That's the saying. Like, you,
2: Yeah, but what are you knowing when you're... I don't understand.
1: You're, you're psychoanalyzing, Gio, Gio <laughs> okay, Joe. Okay, a, a little too much. Way too much here. yes. All
2: right, well, knowing is half the battle. We've solved that. That's not from your kids on... This is your kid's brain on drugs, but it's <laughs> from Joe. I, mean, I suppose it works for that one as well. <laughs> okay, so here are some things that we need to know. Two ways that the enemy attacks. Now, of course, there are things like false teaching, idolatry. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Greed, temptation. These are two ways that this article over at churchleaders.com is mentioning. The first is division. The second is isolation. Mm. Here's what they say. Division. Since the Garden of Eden, when Adam blamed Eve for his sin, the enemy has sought to turn the people of God on one another. Divisions in families, amongst believing friends, in corporate church bodies are nothing new, but they can be agonizing and tragic. You and I have talked about that a lot. We have seen division at work in our nation, and our churches, online, and our families. I, I feel like more than ever, Brian. Yeah, I
1: think the most concerning part for me is the division which, within the church. Yeah. And I think social media plays a lot in this. Yeah. But I think this is a frequent tactic of the enemy right now, because when a church is divided and internal and making arguments and stuff, mm-hmm. what are they ignoring? They're they're not on mission. They're ignoring mission. Wow. it. doesn't good. mean that we're just supposed to be fake unified for the yeah. sake of mission. But yeah. but the, it feels like we're we're talking inside baseball so much mm. that, you know, you start to lose. I think division takes away from mission. And yeah. so Um, whether it be divided local churches or just the big C church, I do think this is a big one today divided over the wrong things, right? The politics, the COVID, the whatever else um, divided over the wrong things. There are certainly things that should divide us, but I think we're divided and fighting about so much that then you, you don't have the time or the energy to go, how do we reach the world that Mm -hmm. needs to hear the gospel? And we kind of lost track that way.
2: Oh, that's good. You, I felt like you just said something so tweetable division, takes away from the mission i think Ooh, yeah that was it's really close good. that's so, good almost rhymed oh yeah that was good okay the uh isolation is the other one that's mentioned god created us to be in relationship with him and with others thus it is truly not good to be alone this mm. is interesting both of these are straight out of genesis like the roaring lion that you mentioned who separates its prey from the pack the enemy seeks to devour us in our aloneness mm. i think that's really true when we're in isolation that's when we feel very um just tempted to to despair and to addiction and yeah. to other other things. What do you think about isolation? Yeah,
1: in post-COVID this mm. is even a bigger yeah. deal, right? Like this is a big struggle right now. I we're just not meant to live alone. Yeah. Right? And I also think when we're in isolation we're not really thinking about mission. Mission is done in community. And mm. so Um, or, you know, it's done by reaching your neighbor next door. Well, if you're just kind of sitting at home, Mm -hmm. just never really interacting with people, that becomes a problem. But I do think that first Peter five, eight, you know, the, the devil roaring like a lion looking for someone to devour, uh, you need other people to protect, yep. and you need people to be with you. So yep. I do. I think division and isolation are big ones right now. I would probably add a third. I think that that the enemy's using now, and I would call. I would probably call that something like apathy.
2: Oh yeah,
1: just kind talk of a malaise. Well, just a malaise and apathy that mm-hmm. says, eh, whatever. Yeah, just gotta get through my day. Yeah, I might go to church. I might not. We you know we talk a lot about frequency of church attendance Mm -hmm. an apathy toward, you know, I've told you that line I like to use, uh, when does the good news of the Bible become old Old news? Uh, That to me is an apathy Mm -hmm. that I I, I think the church in general needs to fight against. So I might add that one, but I think division and isolation, I think those are huge ones right now. Yeah, those are
2: so huge and we have to be aware of them. Here are some questions that we can ask ourselves to just recognize has the enemy gotten some stake in our lives in these areas? Mm. One, do I need to mend any broken relationships? Two, do I foster unity or promote division and disunity in the body of Christ? Mm. Three, am I intentionally isolating myself from other believers for some reason? Four, what battles am I losing in the darkness? I might say, what battles am I losing in the silence? And I think if you see yourself in any of those questions, Mm. then don't be discouraged. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. But do remember that the enemy may be coming after you through these tactics of division mm. and isolation. And we need to be people of unity. We need people of community, people on mission, like Brian's been talking about. And,
1: and I would ultimately say that this is, you know, what is the offensive weapon that we have in the Bible? It's the Bible itself. Oh, that's right? good, The sword Brian. of the spirit. Yes. And so this is why we need to be in our word. We yeah. need to know what truth is and what the lies of the enemy mm. are. And maybe that's a fourth one. Maybe confusion. Oh, yeah. Maybe I think that's you're exactly another right. one. This is a call to be in the word, to be in community yeah. and to be on guard. If yes. there really is an enemy that you believe about, then you're going to be on guard.
2: Yep, that's exactly right, Brian. Thanks for that word. And thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.